Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. On the second Wednesday of each month, and sometimes in between, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to academic.oup.com forward slash bioscience. Today's episode is the third in our In Their Own Words oral history series. This episode is with Dr. Diana Wall of Colorado State University, who is a past president of AIBS, and much of whose work has centered on soil ecology in the Antarctic, where there is a valley that now bears her name in recognition of her research. As always with these, you can read along with the text version in the pages of Bioscience, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But let's get straight to the interview. Dr. Wall, thank you very much for joining me today. You're welcome. I'm glad to do it. Okay, so let's get straight to the questions. Uh, when did you first know that you wanted to work in the life sciences? Oh, wow. I think I wanted to do that from the time I was very young, maybe in uh, grade school. I liked being outdoors. I liked watching things, uh, both in the soil and, and the trees and the plants. And yeah, I just like being outdoors. Yeah, where did you grow up? I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. What would you say is the biggest surprise of your career? Uh, that I would be working in Antarctica for so long. That was never something I ever thought about. What drew you there? Uh, what drew me there was trying to find a soil system that was functioning but had very few species. And that one certainly does. The, the, there's a large area that uh, is actually ice-free, and a number of us work there. And what were you studying in that work? I was looking at, over time, climate change and does it affect the species in the soil and what they do in terms of um, ecosystem functioning. And, and what were some of the, the challenges unique to working in that area? Well, I think, first of all, we wanted to make sure that those invertebrates were actually in those soils and what, how widespread were they? You know, where were they and who were they and what were they doing in that system? and then try to draw comparisons from there to systems that were much more diverse. And what did you find, broadly speaking? Well, we, we found that over a period of time that we could see that if it gets a little warmer and wetter, we see that the species react very differently. Uh, there's two main species there, and one is a bacterial feeder and preys on bacteria in the soil, and the other one is more of an omnivore uh, in eats a number of things, but if we get an extreme event, the first thing that we learned was that the uh, dominant species, the bacterial feeder, declines in numbers, and the large omnivore uh, becomes more plentiful. And this is something we would expect to see under climate change? Well, we, we wanted to know. <laughs> I don't think we expected that per se, but it was very interesting to see a shift in the community. Uh, that was, in, especially in soil communities, because at that time, a lot of people, you know, we weren't thinking that soil communities would be affected very much by climate change. There's all this about buffers and soils are a buffer and, you know, they can take almost anything we do to them, which is not true. And so it was, I guess two things were important. One, that we saw that, but secondly, that we saw that with, uh, at the species level, and there are so many nematodes in most soils, like just right out, out your door. Uh, there's so many different species in a handful of soil of nematodes that it's oftentimes we can't get down to the species level and actually see what their range is, like you would with a, an elephant or a bird, what is their range. And we can see that now in soils. 
So it, Antarctica almost gives you sort of a model system to look at that type of behavior. Exactly. Exactly. What's the biggest difference between the way that science is conducted now and the way it was when you first started in your field? I think the biggest thing I'm noticing is there's uh, an urgency on the part of scientists who want to pull their big data together to gather what may be lots of little isolated studies and see what do we know and where the gaps in science are. And I think that's true whether you're studying at the microbiome scale or whether you're studying at the global scale. It's, it's pretty much of what we what can we synthesize to give us more information and understanding of how we're going to face these challenges. And what kind of roles have professional societies played in your career? Um, and is there a single biggest event? I don't, I can't think of a single biggest event, but I would say my rec, I think what was a surprise to me is the recognition that professional societies are so varied uh, and at different stages of my career, they have been very important to me and to my colleagues. And I would just give for AIBS, for example, you know, how it is a connecting organization among another number of small, uh, smaller societies, but that takes all their needs and says, this is how we can tie these together or help you out with these. And I think that is becoming a theme of other societies now, is that, that um, you know, it's beyond publishing a journal, which we, you know, would pick up in paper years ago, but it's much more this collaboration and connection of people with different interests and in wanting to pull disciplines together to identify new challenges or to solve new challenges, yeah. What would you say was your most challenging day on the job, if you can identify a single one or or a period, perhaps? I think the... Probably for a lot of us, it's do we have the right tools? You know, are we using the right tools, the right, um, well, I would just say that, but other people might say equipment. Are we using the right tools and the right equipment to address this particular issue? And that's something that, it, you know, it doesn't, it isn't on the back of my mind every day, but every once in a while, am I missing something that would really reveal uh, better? <laughs> better understanding of, of what we're looking at under this microscope. What kind of tools would those be? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Well, um, you know, for example, I was just uh, in the Canadian high Arctic at a research station there at Cambridge Bay, and I had never been there before. And yet when I walked in their lab, I thought I would just die for one of these microscopes that they had. And they had a microscope that allowed my colleague and I to uh, sit back to back, you know, we, one me at one bench, him at another, and the resolution was so great that on the screen, like if you were watching a football game, a pro football game in a big room, you would see what we see under a microscope down to the level of really crystal clear uh, morphology of, of what this particular worm looked like, why would, it was different than another one. And boy, that sometimes takes us sitting in a microscope and going up in high level resolution. And I just think that that type of thing and the, um, when you're doing stable isotopes, having, having the precise, the resolution of some of the measurements on isotopes with this, you know, very few nematodes, for example, 
I just think there's the big things that are changing, and then it's also what we're the power of what we're doing with um, looking at at DNA and molecular tools that we didn't have 20 years ago. So I think that it's just amazing. And the date, the way we analyze data, the way we pull together the data that we've got or different people have gotten. I think there's some major shifts, but it's making the field of soil ecology a really energizing, um, fast-paced field that we didn't have before. And it sounds like you, you may have uh, perhaps started to answer this, but do you have a best day on the job or a best period of your career? Uh, when I'm in the field. <laughs> Every, I like being in the field a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm happiest and smiling the most when, when we're somewhere in the field and we're sampling and setting up an experiment or just observing. Yeah. Have those tended to be long trips or, do, or are they brief seasons? Well, um, the one that we just did was just a week. Um, to the high Arctic. The ones when I was going to Antarctica were also relatively short, you know, four weeks, uh, or a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. And it all has to do with weather. The ones that we do on grasslands, so we also so study grasslands as kind of a higher diverse ecosystem. And it's, we've got the short grass step, uh, short grass ecosystem right out near us. And then we got the tall grass in Kanza. It, I'm sorry, in Kansas. And then we also have, I've been looking at the Horonata Desert as kind of an, uh, the Chihuahuan Desert at the Horonata LTR site in Las Cruces. We've been looking at comparing all these and it's kind of a midpoint for the Antarctic Desert. Oh, that's interesting. What gives it that characteristic? Is it just the, the kind of rugged conditions? Well, that plus uh, the desert, deserts, Antarctica is a desert, you know, that's why there's so much ice there. And even the terrestrial parts of the desert uh, in Antarctica, the, 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 the ice barren land where you can't see any plants, are just a, a higher form of a desert. And the Chihuahuan Desert has plants, but it also has commonalities in the soils. You know, they're high pH, they're very alkaline soils, they have lots of invertebrates and many more species than we see, and much more uh, precipitation than we see in the Antarctic but they are comparable in, in many ways. Do you have a favorite story from your time with AIBS or another favorite story is fine too? Well, I don't know if I have a favorite story, but I can tell you that that was working with the past president and the future president and the board there of many diverse disciplines was really kind of a very interesting turning point. Um, in my career, because I was already thinking about ecosystems and working on ecosystems at the ecosystem level, looking at nematodes, which was kind of um, interesting at that period of time. And But to sit and have people on the board who really represented societies of varying different sizes and interests, and, uh, and then also working with the presidents you know, on the board who were, or the past president and the future president, I guess, um, as as a different colleagues, but we were all interested in biology and biological sciences and you know what did we know and how did we keep taxonomy going so that we could do some of the things that we do today and we still have that same issue of we need the, the taxonomists, the morphologists, the natural history people to be able to tell us what we're doing today. So I think it was a 
it's not a favorite story, but I can think of days during that year that I really was learning and very excited to be able to to contribute something in that way. Was that largely a cross-disciplinary effort? I, I just think it was the way AIVS was run. You know, if you look at, um, you know, the election every year, uh, there are many disciplines that sit on that on their board. Do you have a funniest single thing or a funniest single story that comes to mind? Well, I just, it, it, it's about me. I, I mean, I can't tell you one about somebody else, but I can remember that when I, I came to Washington, it was not something that I'm used to doing. And to uh, go around and see all the buildings and uh, all these famous places I'd heard about, you know, the, going by the Natural History Museum and the Lincoln Memorial and all that, I just felt like I had come from outer space, and here I was to help, uh, um, you know, scientific societies was really quite, it, it just seemed sometimes like, I'm just a fly on the wall, this isn't really happening. So it was pretty, it was funny to me, but, you know, that's not the funniest story I could ever think of. Right, but perhaps the funniest story is not going to make it into this publication. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> okay. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly envious of that experience, actually. I grew up in the D.C. area, and so the, the visual aspect means nothing to me. Yeah. Well, it was, it was me running around in running shorts. You know, I only had a certain amount of time before we had to meet the next day, or I had to study. I can't remember which, you know, study the, the agenda. And uh, I can just remember putting on my running shorts and running from, you know, to the outside of all these buildings around that I, I'd call it the Oval, but I don't know what, what you call it now, that races from um, the Lincoln Memorial all the way to the, you know, the Senate. The, the mall. Yeah, the mall. That's what I was trying to come up with. Yeah, I'd run the mall. And that was the first time that I just kept thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, tomorrow I'm going to be, you know, it was it was just so weird to me. Oh, that sounds like fun. What event from your career do you think will be best remembered long into the future? I don't know if there's a particular event. You know, I just hope that we, a number of us, my colleagues who work on these uh, unseen, hidden uh, food webs beneath our feet, are remembered for getting them into mainstream ecology and into the decisions we make on how we manage land. And I think for a number of years, I think this is changing, but a number of years, they really weren't considered unless they were pests or pathogens. But now there's many more ways that we are looking at the diversity of, of life beneath our feet. Oh, that's, that's an excellent point. What are you working on right now? Well, right now, my main thrust is this week is working on a paper on some Antarctic data. That's what I'm, I'm challenged with <laughs> during my regular job. I mean, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's, you just got to put it up there. And I haven't, you know, I've, school's about in session, so there's a little more energy going around. But yeah, I'm, I'm mostly working on that in the Global Soil Biodiversity Initiative. Could you describe the Global Soil Biodiversity Initiative for us a little bit? Yeah, the, that is, um, the Global Soil Biodiversity Initiative is a cross-disciplinary or interdisciplinary group of scientists who want to contribute their knowledge to meeting the challenges of what are we doing to our soils and our atmosphere and just basically learning biodiversity and getting that information in forms that will help us manage more effectively our lands. 
And so we just started, like I say, it's a volunteer organization. Uh, people just sign up, but we partnered with the EU and have a beautiful Global Soil Biodiversity Atlas that teachers use. It's on our website and uh, fantastic pictures. And it was, we just gathered 130 scientists together and, and the EU showed us how to organize this. And then they did all this wonderful work of getting what we wrote and the pictures from all of, you know, many, many, many scientists who study various organisms in soil. And so that is online and freely downloadable. And, but we also had our first meeting in Dijon in 2012. And we expected maybe 200 people, and there were 750 scientists studying everything you could possibly study that's living in the soil. And a lot of them were early career scientists, which I just think is fantastic because now almost, you know, seven years later, 10 years later, they are just really cracking into this, you know, soil and I won't say soil, but the living soil, the organisms and how we can manage that in different ways. And I think it, it's really important because a lot of the, the soil biodiversity scientists are in various countries where we really need that knowledge. So people are working on, there was a recent paper on where are the gaps in soil biodiversity. And, you know, that's not something I wrote. Erin um, Cameron's paper is, if you wanted to look it up, but it, I think what there's just a big accelerated research emphasis on soils, whether it's soil microbiome, soil uh, invertebrates, uh, food webs, carbon transfer, uh, nitrogen, how do you store carbon, are the biota involved in storing carbon, which biota, you know, how does it vary, what's happening in the Arctic with the soils there, you know, what happens if they were to farm the Arctic, you know, the permafrost, how will that affect the bio soil biodiversity there and change the, the uh, ecosystem function and what these organisms do for us in soil. So I think the Global Soil Biodiversity Initiative is just basically a big connecting ball and it just connects and intersects lots of people and introduces them to different subjects and they get to contribute to it. And we're, yeah, it's, it's just fantastic. It's fantastic. It sounds like an exciting time. Yeah, it is. If you were entering graduate school today, is there anything that you would do differently? Huh. Yeah, I would probably learn molecular biology. That would be my first thing on my list because that would, I just would need to know more. I would want to keep the knowledge. So I would take something that had to do with taxonomy or the natural history. I would probably add more field courses. I was mostly looking at plants when I started. So those, those three areas, I think, and data, how to handle data. So would, that, would you consider that to be a shift or in, in area of focus, or is that just additive? I would add it. So you'd be a busier graduate student. Yeah, busier. Yeah, that's right. That sounds perfect. Dr. Wall, thank you very much for joining me today. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you, and talk to you next time.